Hello, and welcome to Imperfect Men, yet another Rexypod writing all the founding fathers of the U.S., from Andrew Adams to George With. I'm Cody. I'm Stephen. And today uh, we are talking about a very little-known figure from this period, Simon Borum. Well, I mean, we've talked about a few little-known people from this period. Well, this guy's very obscure. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, great. So. Here we go. Another <laughs> one. Oh, yeah, I have a, a sentence on this guy. <laughs> I have more than a sentence. Okay, all right. But it's not a lot. Yeah, so, okay. as I tend to do on these shorter ones, I, I like to, you know, kind of talk about something else a little bit from this period. But it's kind of relevant to to uh, this uh, person we're talking about. Uh, because <coughs> Simon Borum, B-O-E-R-U-M, is of Dutch descent. Oh, Dutch. So I thought I might talk about the New Netherland colony, which is, some of you don't know, the Dutch used to, I don't know if own is the right word, but their colony, New Netherland, was the, uh, what is today, New York. Oh, really? I uh, around New York City. I had no idea it was once Dutch. Yeah, so I figured I'd talk about that a little bit, but this time before we actually talk about uh, Simon Borum. So that way it kind of like leads into him. So Oh, interesting. Okay. So, Doing a, switching it up. Yep. Uh, so in the 17th century, much of what is now coastal Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, and Rhode Island, uh, were claimed by the Dutch Republic as their New Netherland colony. Dutch exploration of North America began in 1609 with the explorer Henry Hudson. Uh, Hudson was an Englishman hired by the Dutch East India Company to find a route to Asia by sailing north of Russia. So he was going to go, like, you know, east, like, just, like, over Scandinavia, over Russia to get to Asia that way, but it was full of ice, so he couldn't go that way. So he just turned around. <laughs> yeah, lots of ice there. And he went to North America. Yeah. And he hypothesized that there was a passageway to Asia, uh, the elusive Northwest Passage. Oh, there's a song may, about that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, something many an explorer looked for over the centuries. Yeah. And now kind of exists because all the ice is melted. Isn't that <laughs> the USS Fear or whatever? The uh, Is it Fear? HMS Terror. Terror, the yeah. Terror, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, that's they were looking for that. The Franklin Expedition, yeah. Yeah. Um, he hypothesized that there was a passage to Asia between the St. Lawrence River and Chesapeake Bay. So he sails down to Chesapeake Bay, starts sailing north, and he comes across a large uh, inlet in between two big islands. And this is what's today known as New York Harbor. Oh. The two islands were Staten Island and Long Island. And he starts sailing up the Hudson River, which would later be named for him. The Hudson uh, River. So, That's, yeah. I was going to ask that, but I, I yep. figured you'd get to it. <laughs> yep. It's named for him. And he sails up... Uh, quite a ways up till he gets to the point around Troy, New York. Then uh, he can't go any further um, because it's too too shallow. He's like, all right, well, this isn't it. But so he turns around, goes back to the Netherlands and reports his findings. And he also reports that there's a lot of trading opportunities with the local Native Americans, the, the Lenape. And so the Dutch charter the New Netherland Company in 1614 to take advantage of those opportunities. And the first permanent Dutch settlement in the area was established in 1617 in what is now Albany, New York, hmm, okay. which is today the state capital. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Dutch, they established several forts along the Hudson River uh, to protect colonists from Native American attacks. And in 1625, New Amsterdam was established on the island of Manhattan and became the colony's new capital. Oh, okay. Uh, I know there's a lot of stories about how uh, they acquired Manhattan from the Native Americans. I'm not going to go into that. You know, maybe do your own research if you want to know more, uh, because that's not the focus of this episode. But I know there's a lot of stories out there about that. Uh, 
colony flourished over the next several decades as more people migrated there. But by 1660, population numbered only around 5,500, which isn't a lot. But mostly because the Dutch, like to them, this was just a trading colony. Whereas, like other colonies, like uh, like uh, like the English colony in Massachusetts, it was kind of just a haven for people who couldn't stay in England anymore, like okay. religious. Uh, sex, you know, or or whatever. Sure, yeah. So a lot more people were like were migrating from those areas, but the Dutch is like it's just a trading colony, so they didn't get to have a lot of migrants actually go there to stay and live. I got you. So, so it was more like a for like like economy is like a yeah, commerce thing. Yes, it wasn't like we're not going to stay here. We're just yeah, we're, we're not just building a new society. Here. Yeah, we're just trying to trade. That's yes. all we're doing. Yeah. So like the colony was also like it wasn't exclusively Dutch. Like yeah, Dutch was. It was under control of the Dutch government. Dutch was the spoken language around. But it was a very multicultural place. So, like, you had these people called the Walloons, which is one of the groups that make up... It's like the French-speaking part of Belgium. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. It was today Belgium, because Belgium didn't exist yet as a country. They were there. French Protestants called Huguenots. They were there, because France, very Catholic... French wars of religion, a lot of persecution going around this time, so they right. leave a lot of Germans, Scandinavians, wow. all sorts of people live there. Tons of people. Including, unfortunately, enslaved people. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. It was that time period. However, they had some. They had more rights than a lot of slave-holding colonies would grant slaves. Like, they could, you know, testify against white people in court. Oh, wow. You know, That's, they could, wow. They could have religious services performed for them by, like, by white people, so they go to the same churches as white people, so... Wow. And fast forwarding a little bit, it's obviously at some point taken over by the English. The Dutch free the slave, all the slaves in the colony right before the English handover. So it creates wow. this little core of free black people in what is New York. Wow, so, interesting. Yeah. That's some interesting history there. Yeah. Part of the Dutch Republic's founding document, the 1579 Union of Utrecht, established religious freedom, which was extended to the New Netherland colony. Like, you could worship however you wanted. Freedom of religion. Yep. Which, freedom of religion, that's like, this is like the core, like one of the core tenets of, you know, American freedoms. Mm -hmm, yeah. You know, and this is taking place in North America. This is bound to have an influence later on. Of course. So, uh, in 1664, prior to the start of the Second Anglo-Dutch War, New Amsterdam was taken by the, which is present-day New York City, was taken by the English when four frigates sailed into the harbor and threatened destruction. The residents put up no resistance as they were hopelessly outmatched. Oh, jeez. This is when the colony was renamed New York, after King Charles II's younger brother, the Duke of York. Okay. Well, there you go. Who would later be King James II. In the terms of surrender, the governor negotiated the protection of the colony's religious freedoms, so those were maintained. The war concluded in 1667 with the English still in control of the colony, but... The Dutch retook the colony in the Third Anglo-Dutch War in 1672, but only held on to it for a few years. At the conclusion of the war in 1674, it was returned to the English in, in exchange for Suriname in South America. Suriname, what's that? Is that uh, country? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, the Dutch, so they gave it up for like this little bit of South America, which is more profitable. So from now on, up until the Revolution, it is English. Mm. So the English didn't like... Re-enslave everybody? They just let the them. The existing go? free black population, no. No, no. no. So they were just like, you guys can do what you yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, and slavery, especially in the northern colonies, it wasn't as extensive as it would be in the south. But the Dutch identity remained strong, with many of the Dutch communities making it a point to speak Dutch at home, and maintain their own Dutch Reformed churches. 
Several modern-day communities, such as Schenectady and Brooklyn, kept their Dutch names. Jersey Dutch became a specific dialect of the Dutch language. Uh, and it, it, it existed up until the 20th century. It just kind of died out in the early 20th century. Wow. Huh. Several prominent future leaders of the United States were descended from Dutch settlers, such as the Roosevelts, uh, the Schuylers, who we'll talk about. Talk about Philip Schuyler. Uh, we'll get an episode much later on. And, of course, Martin Van Buren. Oh, Van Buren. Our only ESL president, because English was his second language, because Dutch was his first. Wow. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, it's like we haven't we've we've had an ESL president. Wow. Yeah, so he like they, that was before they put in the rule. Probably then that was you have to be born in. Well, America. he was he was born in New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. born in he was born in New York. He oh, was America. Right. He's born in America. But like these Dutch communities would make sure to like yeah keep the culture going. Sure. Yeah. And speak Dutch. Like, and this is like he was born in 1782. This is well over a century after. The New Netherland colony is no more. Ah, so, yeah. It was kind of like the German, you know, the German people that came in, you know, through like Cincinnati and stuff. They always yeah. wanted to keep the German yeah. first would be the first language and then English would be their second language, yeah. even though they were, you know, born here or whatever. Yes. Yeah, so, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. The Dutch system of government was influential to the nascent American democracy. Uh, John Adams said, quote, the origins of the two republics are so much alike that the history of one seems but a transcript from that of the other, end wow. quote. Uh, and, and the Dutch colors of orange, white, and blue are seen in several flags of former Dutch cities, like New York City. Oh. Think about the New York City flag, it's orange, white, and blue. I don't know if I know what it looks like. <laughs> I ain't got no idea. <laughs> it's orange, white, and blue, though? Does it have, like, their uh, their um, crest or whatever in? I think so. It's not, a, it's not called a crest. What's what it called? Seal. Seal, yeah, the seal. Honestly, I've never seen that in my entire life. No. That's the first time I've ever seen that flag. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, it has their seal in the middle yep, of it. Like, so. well, most it, of, I think the, most states those, do. A lot of them do. Yeah, uh, and the Dutch colors. That's so. that's cool. So didn't maintain, know that. Maintain their Dutch heritage. So let's get down to the subject of this episode. Simon Borum. Oh, Simon, we're here. We're here. Born Simon. on February 29th, seventeen thirty-four, in Brooklyn, to William and Rachel Borum. He's born on Leap Day. Oh, dang. He's a Leap Year kid. Yeah, so he only ages every four years. Yeah, um, so he's still alive probably somewhere. <laughs> died at the age of 10. <laughs> yeah. uh, he uh, was descended from Dutch settlers, so that's why I talked about that. He's educated at the local Dutch school, so I couldn't find anything confirmation. So he's probably one of these people who spoke Dutch at home, which is oh, interesting. You know, he's yeah. ESL founder. <laughs> wow. So uh, uh, Can he, you explain what ESL stands for? English as a second language. Okay, okay. So... Just in case you keep using it, I don't know what you're talking about. So yeah. just wanted to make sure. He farmed. He was a farmer. He operated a mill. So just kind of like a local, prominent local businessman, you know, farmer, mill owner. Uh, he married Maria Schenk in uh, 1748. He was appointed the county clerk in 1750, an office he would hold until his death. Uh, he I mean, was elected to the Colonial Assembly in 1761. Uh, kept kind of quiet, but he was appointed as a delegate to the First Continental Congress Arriving on October 1st, 1774, the Congress was halfway over by this point. Mm-hmm. Last about two months, he gets there halfway through. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sounds familiar. And he was there to sign the Continental Association. There he was. He was elected to the new state legislature in early 1775 and was chosen for the Second Continental Congress, but 
was unable to remain in Philadelphia for long because he fell ill. He returned home to Brooklyn, where he died on July 11th, 1775, age 51. Dang. 1775? Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't last long. <laughs> Jeez. Like, in terms of... Um, he was already older going into it, though, so... Yeah, 1734, yeah. I'm a little, a little older than a lot of them. I mean, I mean, he's younger than George Washington. Washington was born in 1732. So he was like, I'm a little sick, guys. I can't do this. And he went home and was like, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay. <laughs> he doesn't He doesn't live to see the Declaration or yeah, yeah. any of that. Like, right. he, he dies pretty early. So, yeah, that that that's his biography. That's him? That's oh, him. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Oh, so let's get to the categories. Perpetual Union. <laughs> I see I see now why you yeah. did the thing at the yeah. beginning there. Perpetual Union. How influential were they on the founding doc? He arrived at the Continental Congress <laughs> midway through and did not take an active part in discussions on the Continental Association. Zero. Zero. Uh, how do you, out of ten? That's ten for each of us. Yeah, it's going to be zero. I don't, you, you got to do something. Yeah. You got to have, like, said something or something. I mean, I mean he may have, there's just no record of it. Yeah, right, man. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, can't go on that. And, and you know, I, I feel like the more I talk, I think about like, especially like the first Continental Congress, there are such large personalities there, like John Adams, Samuel Adams, Patrick Henry, uh, Peyton Randolph, the whole <laughs> like whole slew of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who are just these larger than life personalities. So like a guy who's like kind of like more quiet. Probably doesn't get a, get a chance to talk. Right, exactly. Yeah, too many big personalities yeah, in, so, in the room, and he was just back there like, I. And they're like, no. And then he kept going, and he was like, but I, no. <laughs> Not <laughs> even that, that. Just like he like, that. he like tries to like raise his hand. Exactly. And they just like they just ignore him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Or he like tries to stand up, and they're like, sit, sit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. So it's gonna be zero. So we the people. How influential were they outside the founding documents? Here we go. Here we go. Uh, well, he served in the New York legislature for 14 years. Now, he arrived to the Continental Congress just in time to vote or to defeat um, Joseph Galloway's plan of union. Now, Joseph Galloway, we'll talk about him later. He'll get an episode later on. And we'll probably go more into his plan of union at that time. The quick summary version, it's basically a way to keep the colonies within the British Empire but also kind of alleviate some of the colonial concerns. And this vote is very close, closer than you would think. Basically, like you say, like you hear, it's like, oh, it's a plan to keep the colonies in the empire. Well, I mean, that clearly failed. Not clearly. Because remember, at this time in Congress, you voted by state. Mm-hmm. So like, each state had one vote. Mm-hmm. And then within each state delegation, all of their all of the members would vote amongst themselves, decide what the state was going to vote. Right. And some of them could abstain if they couldn't come yeah. to an agreement. Yeah. Yeah. New York delegates voted four of them in favor of the plan, five of them against, Oh, gee. including Borum. So, oh, wow. So that was pretty close. Yes. And overall, the tally amongst the states, because there were only 11 there at this time, or at least the colonies, five of them in favor, six against. Jeez, that was like right down the, that was like to the wire. Yes. So his vote proved crucial. Well, okay. That's good to know. Yeah, and there's something about it that we'll talk about in the next category, but so that, that that's all I got for We the People. Well, that's pretty pretty good though. I mean, that's a, a crucial vote for a crucial thing. Yeah. I'm going to say I'm going to give him at least a 4 for that. 4? Yeah. Okay. 
I'm gonna give him a three. Beyond that, it's like we don't really get much. Well, you can give him a little extra point yeah. for you know being in the the what was it the legislature? Uh, yeah, a little, the legislature and county clerk. Yeah, you know, yep. it's fine. But yep. But yeah, that, that's fine. Four and a three has a seven for we the people. Next category: articles of impeachment. Uh-oh. How scandalous were they? Well, he's not as scandalous as last time. <laughs> this is impossible. That guy got. Didn't he get? He got the max. He yeah, got twenty. Twenty. Out of 20. Yes, so. <laughs> William Blunt, what a scuzzball. <laughs> the timing of Borum's appointment was a bit suspicious because he's appointed in late September and he arrives on October 1st. This is after Galloway's plan has been presented mm. to the Congress. Okay. And so there was certainly Galloway believed this uh, and it was kind of accused, not necessarily of Borum himself necessarily, but accused of really the whole colony of New York, of conspiring to vote to, to you know, kill this plan uh-huh. by appointing someone at the last minute to vote against it. I see. I see. So there's not, not any corroborating evidence for that, but... Could have happened. It's there. The only other thing I got was that, you know, he, he arrived in Congress on October 1st, but when he sent in his expense report to the uh, state of New York, he said, well, I got there on the 27th of September. <laughs> I see. Little, yeah. Which, yeah, you can hold that against him if you want. I'm not going to because personally, I think I should be compensated for the time it takes me to travel from my home to work. All right, exactly. Especially since I have fully have the capability of working from home. Well, they didn't. Well, they didn't, but... <laughs> but I know what you're saying. I yes. see what you're saying. So he's like, just kind of like, give me a little money. Give me a little money. A little extra. Yeah. yeah. So... That's all I got for articles of impeachment. I'll give him a big old. I'll give him a two. Two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll match you. Two's fine. That's a four for articles of impeachment. Now for your favorite category. Oh, please tell the me the whites of their eyes. Please. What this guy me. look like? Please tell me there's a picture. I want to see this Dutchman. I'd like to see it too because I have no idea. What? There's no picture. There's no picture. Oh dang it! I hate when there's no picture. <laughs> this is the only reason I'm on this podcast. To see the pictures. <laughs> so that's got to be zero. Yeah. That's I zero that. for lights of their eyes. I'm sorry, Steve. Uh. I, I made sure the next few have pictures. Okay. So they'll, they'll have pictures. He wasn't even in one of the... No, because he was the... No, it wasn't a, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't live long enough. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. I'm just grasping straws here. Yeah. Bonus round. How many documents did they sign? Well, he only lived to see one signed, and he signed it. Continental Association. Did it. That's one bonus point. So that is a total score of 12. (laughs) Which is the third worst. Wow. Edward Biddle had 11.5. And then old Andy had 7. (laughs) 7. So. 12. (sighs) Uh, But it's not all about the score. No. We have to ask the question. Uh Uh-oh. I had to look over because I forgot his name already. (laughs) Is Simon Borum... A founding father or a floundering father? I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> wait, wait for me to laugh. Excuse <laughs> you. Wait for me to chuckle. I'm sorry. You, you're like, we're at the point of, is he founding or floundering? <laughs> and you're like, I had to look over to, rem- to remember his name. <laughs> like, I guess I'll be floundering. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's... there's yeah, I'm going to go with floundering no on that yeah, one. <laughs> he, he is a floundering father. <laughs> Not necessarily uh, through any fault of his own. Like if he lived, like lived another ten years, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But he didn't, so he's not. <laughs> so 
Yeah. Well, he shouldn't get anything bad, though. Don't we give him something? Like what they, yeah. Like so we it shouldn't be too bad, it. but it should be small. It should be a, a mill. He has a mill named after him. Yeah, okay. There, there you go. go. Yeah, because he was he's a, a miller. Yeah. yeah, he's a miller. Yeah. There, there you go. go. That's okay. Because he wasn't, he wasn't bad. wasn't great. Yeah. In middle ground. So. Six of our 16 we've done so far are founding fathers. Nice. That's so, not bad. We're, we're you know, trimming the fat. Yeah. Trimming the fat. All righty. So next time, David Breerly. David Breerly? Breerly. Breerly. Barely. Barely. Barely there. Barely there. That's from the, uh, Back to the Constitution, a signer from New Jersey, David Breerly. Mm, signer. Oh, so, uh, uh, wow, I keep forgetting sources. Man, yeah, the, he's so boring, I forgot my own process. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, sources for this. Uh, Benjamin Schmidt, Innocence Abroad from 2001. Uh, Russell Shorto, The Island of the Center of the World from 2004. Of course, the ever-faithful U.S. Congress, their biographical directory on Borum. I didn't see the pin tweet for general sources. All right, now, it's the end of the episode. David nope. Breerly, next time. Do you have any podcasts to recommend? No. No, okay. <laughs> All right, then. Bye, everybody. Farewell. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Please be sure to check out our other projects, including We Effed Up, a history podcast where we cover all the times in history where we effed up. And The Drunken Pond, a YouTube channel where we play board games and drink craft beer. As well as Hard Ticket to Sedaris, a movie podcast covering the action films of the late Andy Sedaris. And for all of our projects, visit our Twitter at AOP Pod Network. I'm Steven. And I'm Cody. And this is Imperfect Imperfect Men. Men.